Morning, church. Good to see everybody here. Well, special welcome to our Wheaton College students, college students in general coming back. It's fun to see you after summer break. It's a blessing to have you here. You add real volume to our singing. We love that. Glad you're here. Hope you feel quickly at home. Any guests among us, and I've met several this morning already, we always pray that our guests, as you're with us each week in worship, you feel an increasing sense of belonging. And so I'd love to meet you after the service. I usually hang out around down front. If you'd be so bold to come on down, introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you. If you have to bolt after the service, stop by the welcome booth, which is right out in the welcome center. Grab a copy of a book. I know a book isn't everybody's love language, all right? But it's a, it's a book that'll help you get to know us as a church. It has some of my own story in it. We'd love for you to have a copy. It's titled Following Jesus. And again, it'll help you get to know us a little bit. There's a song by a previously unknown musician that has gone viral in just the last month. Can you imagine going from uh, virtually being unknown, except perhaps in your state of West Virginia, to being a, an international phenomenon in one month's time? Uh, his name is Oliver Anthony. The name of the song is Rich Men, North of Richmond. Anybody heard this song? All right. About 10% of America, 44 million YouTube listeners have listened to this song. And then if you scroll through, it's fascinating, if you scroll through the list of comments, some 150,000 comments, this song's really striking a chord. Top of the iTunes charts, number one, right? Written and sung by Oliver Anthony. His real name is Chris. He is a country crooner without a doubt. And I love both types of music. I love country and western. And so this is, come on. <laughs> country crooner, it's his attempt to arrest the conscience of American politicians. So popular has this song become that it was a part of Wednesday's Republican Party presidential debate. In fact, it was a part of the first question that the debaters, the would-be nominees, were asked. They were asked the question, why is this song striking such a nerve? The answers given by the debaters were fairly predictable, as they pointed fingers at the other party by and large. Very partisan responses given, and I understand that. But this song is a ballad that bemoans things like rising taxes, shrinking paychecks, poorly administered government programs, government overreach, realities that, with which many Americans can relate. And of course, it would be impossible for a four-minute song to actually solve the issues as complex as it raises. But what I felt like no one on the platform was able to put their finger on when asked, why is this song striking such a nerve? I feel like one of the reasons it's striking such a, a nerve is because of general discontentedness within the American population. Even a hopelessness. This morning in our eighth and final sermon in a series from 1 Timothy, Paul's going to give Timothy a warning about being discontent. And as a matter of fact, he's uh, giving us a warning as well. 
Turn with me in your copy of the scripture to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you don't have your copy of God's Word with you, it'll be on the screen as always. I like to have my copy of God's Word open as I'm learning so I can circle things, underline things, make some notes. I'd encourage you to be doing that. Before I read this passage, let me ask us a question. If you were to rate your contentedness on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being utter discontent, 10 being uh, it's as if you're floating six inches off the ground completely content, what rating would you give yourself? In fact, it's the third question in the going deeper section of the bulletin. I, we write questions with our sermon to be used in small groups each week. The third question is, rate your discontentedness or rate your contentedness. And I ask us to do this because most of us struggle with some level of discontent. Maybe you have a short list of things that you would like to buy. Maybe your Amazon cart comes to mind when I ask about your contentedness. Most of us want to earn at least a little more income. Most have been tempted, at least tempted, at one time or another to avoiding, avoid paying what we owe. Or we've been hesitant to share with others. Perhaps we've been tempted to take what isn't ours. All of these are some indication we may be struggling with dis discontentedness at some level. And Paul closes his letter to Pastor Timothy on the, uh, the importance of being financially contented. And he gives him some directions on how to cultivate contentedness. I'm going to start in verse 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain, tremendous gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And the love of money actually works evil in our hearts and in our lives, destructive paths. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, it helps in interpreting God's word to understand a little bit about the context of the letter that we're reading. Paul's writing to Pastor Timothy. Timothy is in Ephesus. He's the, one of the shepherds of the church at Ephesus, right? Ephesus was a, a port city on the Aegean Sea in the first century. Here's a picture of a map. It's modern Turkey. If you're trying to place it on the map, there's Athens, Greece, with which Paul... Uh, not Paul, Matt opened with a reading of Paul as he addressed the Athenians, right? Saying, in him we live and move and have our being, the, which is the first song we sang this morning. And so uh, Timothy's ministering in Ephesus, Ephesus a port city, which meant there was a lot of money changing hand. It was one of the wealthiest cities in the ancient world, not dissimilar to Chicagoland, right? Uh, we have a lot of money changing hands in and around the Chicago world here. Financial district is a hub of, of, of the industry of Chicagoland. 
And Paul gives Timothy a word of warning about being content. That is, not wanting to get rich. He's saying to Timothy, he's saying to Timothy's uh, flock, the congregation there, he's saying to us, don't be distracted by all the money changing hands. In fact, unfortunately, if you read verses 1 to 5, those that precede the section that I just read, there were some in Ephesus thinking that godliness is a means to financial gain. And I think we should pause and ask, why are we here this morning? Is there any whiff among us that we're here because God's taking attendance and he's going to mark us as here, and as a result, we're going to profit? Heaven help us if that is our, our posture, our thinking. We ought not to think that godliness is a means to financial gain. And of course, there are ministers all over the globe getting rich off the gospel. Book sales, speaking fees, exorbitant salaries. And in case you're tempted to dismiss Paul's warning because you're not a vocational minister, rest assured there are many variations on this theme. Discontent is available to us all. It is, and I'll confess, a unique peril of those who make their living off the gospel, right? I'm paid a salary to be a part of the shepherding effort here. If we're not careful, those who make their living off the gospel can grow in their greediness. But that greediness, that discontent is available to all Christians, and we need to be careful we don't have to be ministers of the gospel to fall into the deception that godliness is a means to financial gain. This happens all the time with people tithing, right? Giving 10% of their income to the church and then thinking, God will strengthen my portfolio, expecting an 11% gain or 12% gain in their investments. Unfortunately, some preachers even promise as much. Just stay up and watch late-night television. It's called prosperity gospel. God wants us to be healthy and wealthy. And we need to be careful that we're not buying into that. It happens with service, too. Time is money. And some, in service to the kingdom, serving in their giving of their time and talents, fall into the trap that thinking, well, I give my time, I give my talents, now God's obligated to bless me. There'll be a return. We are discontent at best, deceived at worst, if we think our obedience obligates God to bless us financially. Take the story Job as an example. Old Testament book, it's a tremendous story of suffering. I'd encourage you to read it, at least the first three chapters this week, as you process your level of discontentedness. I'm pretty normal, right? Uh, I, most of us bounce around. We, we ebb and flow in discontentedness and contentedness. Tempted at times with growing in discontentedness, growing at other times in, in contentedness and feeling at ease with what God's provided for us. Job, in the first chapter of the book that bears his name, is described as a wealthy man. 
the wealthiest of men in the ancient world, and having ten children, huge family, lots of wealth, and then he loses it all. Calamity strikes his life. He loses all his children and all his wealth. Here's his remark, his response to that. Then Job fell to the ground in worship, not resentment. Job fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. It's very Pauline of him, right? This is what Paul writes to Timothy. We came into the world with nothing. We'll exit the world. We can't take anything with us. Job said the same. The Lord gave. The Lord's taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Later in the book, he says, uh, Though he slay me, I'll still praise him. It's the second song that we sang together as a community of faith. Hallelujah anyway, regardless of what I'm going through. I'll still praise him. Praise, praise to Yahweh, that's what hallelujah is. How easy it would have been for Job to say something like, what's up with this? God, you know my righteousness. You know my obedience. How can you let this happen to me? In other words, you owe me. But God is not primarily concerned with my growing net worth. He's not. God's primarily concerned with his glory and our joy. That is, with his glory and the work of his Holy Spirit in our lives to grow us in righteousness. That's what God's primarily concerned about. And that's why contentment is so important, because discontentment, particularly with our financial situation, can lead to tremendous peril in our lives. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's verse 10 in, this, in today's passage. It's the root of all types of evil outcomes in our lives. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith even and pierced themselves with many griefs. So what's Paul's directive? If we're not going to fix our hope in money, if we're not going to pursue money, right? If we're not going to think it's our hope, but we're going to think, what, what are we going to think? What, what purpose will we live for? What will we give our lives to? Let's keep reading verse 11. But you, man of God, now it's Paul writing to Timothy, but this applies to us without respect to gender. But you, person of God, flee from all this. Flee from the love of money. Don't give your life to the pursuit of money. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Pursue faith in Christ. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good conscience, made your good confession, rather, in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. And so when Christ testified before Pontius Pilate, he was on his way to be crucified, yet he made the good confession. He didn't ride the roller coaster of, he loves me, he loves me not. No, he had confidence, he lived with faith, Christ did. He, Paul's saying to Timothy, live with that same good confession. He says, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time 
And then there's a benediction, which we'll close our service with later this morning. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone's immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Godliness with contentment is great gain. In fact, it was the gain of godliness that carried Job through his trials. What will get us through our suffering? What will get us through our hardship? And I know enough about uh, the group uh, gathered in this room this morning that knows some of us, our backs are up against the wall. We're facing real difficulty. What will carry us through? The death rate among rich and poor is the same. It's 100%. Money doesn't save people for death, from death. Christ gives us hope in the face of death. The gain comes through godliness because contentment allows us to fix our hope on Christ and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance. Job needed endurance and to cultivate gentleness in our lives. These pay the highest dividend. If you're a note taker, you might jot down, the pursuit of godliness overcomes the craving for material wealth and produces great spiritual gain, great spiritual wealth. That is what, that's what it actually sees us through trials. I do lots of hospital visits, rich and poor alike, need Christ when they're in the hospital. Money's not enough to see us through difficulty. Godliness with contentment frees us from the empty pursuit of wealth so that we can take hold of what is the greatest gain, namely a relationship with our Creator. In Him we live and move and have our being. In fact, Paul went on to say to the Philippian church that he had this secret the secret of living content. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've been in the lows. I've been in the highs. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can, what's the secret? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The him is Christ. The secret of being content, whatever our situation you know, I just, I think of the, the wealthy who do not have Christ. Many, many are miserable. Before my father passed away, uh, he passed away at the age of 66. We had lots of talks about faith. He did not come to faith until just a short time before his death. Lived most of his life for the pursuit of money, uh, the pursuit of acclaim, he said what to me once, Kelly, it's true, money can't buy happiness. That was fairly confessional for my dad. Then he said, but it can make you comfortable. The secret of being content in every situation is recognizing and relishing and relying upon God's tremendous provision for us in Christ. My, my dad soon faced a disease that money would not fix. And it took his life. Thankfully, he found hope in Christ before passing away. Look at the Apostle Peter's summary of our resource in Christ. His divine power 
has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything we need for life and godliness is in Christ. Let me summarize, and I don't know that you need these summaries. These are pretty basic. But I think what's basic deserves to be stated. Contentedness is feeling satisfaction with God's provision, being at ease with where God has us. Discontentedness is feeling dissatisfaction. The secret of contentedness in whatever situation we find ourselves is seeing Christ increasingly clearly. Recognizing, relishing, relying upon God's sufficiency, his sufficient provision for us in Christ. We have everything we need for life and godliness in Christ. Does this mean Christians can't be in finance? Gosh, no. Absolutely not. Does this mean that we can't work to increase our income or grow our businesses? Absolutely not. Christians, arguably, would make the best bankers and financiers and business owners and employers because the bottom line is not their sole focus. Business owners and employers have a responsibility, frankly, to work hard to build their business, to bless their employees as well as their customers. So let's make sure we understand the Bible's not condemning. It's not condemning hard work, creativity, ingenuity, or marketplace success. Not in the least. It's warning against living for those things. It's entirely possible to work hard and to creatively grow a business without being motivated by getting rich. All that we do, we're to do for his glory, we're told. It's entirely possible to run really hard and to work and use your gifting and the time God's giving you and your brilliance to grow a big business and bring him glory and bless others. In fact, Paul realizes that hard work will produce wealth in most cases, and he closes with some encouragement on how the wealthy are to use their resources. Let's keep going in verse 17. Now, this first word is fascinating to me. We've got the missionary Paul writing to the pastor Timothy of a local church in Ephesus, so it would be a gathering like this, and he tells Timothy to command his parishioners. I've never, and Lord, you know, Lord forbid, right? I've never commanded, I can't ever remember giving a command to anybody. So I find the word fascinating. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, which richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Again, he says it again in verse 18. Command. And, and I wouldn't dare offer a command, right? It, it just seems beyond me. It's not my place. But from God, through Paul, let's receive the command of God, right? Command them to do good. Command those wealthy people to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous 
and willing to share. Now, it's been a while since I've looked up the statistics of global wealth, but I'll, I'll be close here, I'm sure. You can look it up. Uh, if you earn between forty dollars and $50,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of wage earners globally. This command, these two commands, they're for us. They're for us. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves. Right? He's quoting Jesus there. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, not here on earth. They'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, that's eternity, so that they may take hold of the life that's truly life. Money's not truly life. Christ is truly life. Jesus said himself, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Very practically, we cultivate contentedness by doing good with our wealth. If you're struggling with greed, the way to battle it is to give it away. By being generous, our money is put to work. You can actually invest in your eternity. He says it, I don't say it. Laying up treasure for themselves. You can send it on ahead. You can store up for yourselves treasure in eternity by using your resources here on earth to bless others. It's interesting to me again that Paul says command them, and then he says command them not to be arrogant. Do you know that money works on our souls in very perilous ways? And one of the ways is arrogance. Money's chief attraction is the power it gives us, the pride it feeds, the comfort it provides. Every one of us has felt the smug sense of superiority that creeps in after a clever investment or a new purchase. Have y'all seen my tennis shoes? We've felt this smug sense of superiority after making a big deposit. And we need to be real careful. Money cultivates an arrogance in our lives, a superiority that's battled as we deploy our resources for God's purposes. You know, it's true, verse 17 God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What we have to figure out is what brings true joy, enjoyment. True enjoyment is found by deploying our resources to advance the kingdom of God. True joy, enjoyment is found in finding our role in the mission and purposes and ministries of God, helping other people have food and shelter, those that can't meet their own needs, and, dis and discover Christ. That's true enjoyment. If we, like Paul, are increasingly content with the simple necessities of life, it will free up literally millions, billions of dollars for the mission of showing and sharing the gospel. 
as Christians grow in contentment, the primary way we know we're growing in contentment is we deploy our resources for kingdom's purposes. I want to close with just a really simple illustration of how I know this is true. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, Luke notes that there are some women of influence who've been saved through faith in Christ, actually delivered from demonic powers and healed of diseases. And the salvation that God worked in their life evidences itself as they deploy their resources to fund the ministry of Jesus. Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The 12 were with him, the apostles, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, and then he gives a little a list of these women who've been miraculously delivered. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. There's the gospel. We love because we realize he has loved us perfectly. One of the ways you can make sure that the gospel is making inroads into your life, that you're understanding the grace of God, is you're using your resources to further the kingdom. Your time, your talents, your treasure. And I love this story. It's a direct outworking of they were saved from darkness and now they're helping save others from darkness by deploying their resources. These women taking a lead in that way. What an encouragement that God would work in our hearts that way, delivering us from arguably one of the largest idols of suburban life, material wealth. The country crooner, Oliver Anthony, the chorus goes like this. I might have redacted it just a little. Lord, it's a darn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me and people like you wish I could just wake up and it not be true. But it is. Oh, it is. Folks, We have woken up, though, to a different world. Here's the good news. God's not left us alone with our sin. God sent his son Christ to care for us in a situation of tremendous discontent. Well, we're selfish often in taking advantage of one another. And it's not just in governance government, but in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and in our families. But he's not left us without hope. To use the Old Testament verbiage, we live in the year of Jubilee. It's this year of God's abundant provision through Jesus Christ. There is real reason to hope because there are few things as miraculous as separating me from my love of money. If you want to see resurrection power, one of the the clearest ways to see it is God separating us from the idol of materialism. Let me pray for us toward that end. Father, we pray that the church would increasingly be content, whether well-fed or hungry, 
that we would share our resources, deploying them for kingdom's purposes, that we'd see real enjoyment is not found in another pair of shoes or more clothes, but being a part of your kingdom and your saving work around the world. Lord, it is a darn shame what this world has come to. Thank you that you've not left us without hope. In Jesus' name, amen. As is our habit, we're going to close by singing together again. That is preaching together. Uh, Jim and Debbie Schoberg are down front. They'd love to pray with you. If you want prayer, come on down at this time. Let's stand together.